0: welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We started in this series called Jesus uh, back a couple of weeks before Christmas and uh, uh, hopefully the weather will not mess with us much or anything and we'll get to finish on Easter Sunday uh, with this series. We've had several topics we've gone through. We've just been trying to look at uh, who Jesus is uh, in kind of a broad way and and what he's done for us uh, in in several specific ways. Uh, Today we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about Jesus, our our intercessor. Uh, now, um, I, I recognize you may not have used the word intercessor uh, this past week much, so uh, I'll give it to you in Caldwell County terms. Jesus prays for us, okay? Is that, is that clear? Is that understandable? Uh, and I'll, uh, how how many are already aware of that truth that Jesus actually prays for you? Just hold your hand up there if you're aware of that. Uh Don't hold your hand up for this because this one might hurt a little bit. How many of you live day to day under the awareness as you're living your life and making decisions and the attitudes you have and everything like that? How many live your life day to day under the awareness that Jesus is praying for you in that moment? So I didn't ask you to raise your hands because I'm not sure I could have raised mine either, you know, on that. That one hurts just a little bit. And yet that's the awareness we ought to live our lives with that whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, uh, that he, in fact, is praying for us. For some of you, that may be a new concept. I won't ask you to raise your hand for that either, to say, well, hey, I, that's brand new news to me. I didn't realize that the Bible taught uh, that Jesus is praying for me. I believe it clearly teaches that Jesus prays for every every believer. He's praying for all that are his, and we'll see that this morning. Uh, I think he also is praying for you, if uh, you don't know him, if you've never trusted him as Savior. And while a lot of what we're going to look at this morning talks about Jesus praying for his own, those that the Father has, has given him that we'll look at, uh, if you remember Jesus on the cross, cried uh, cried out, says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So that's pretty good evidence that, that he prays also for people that don't know him, don't know who he is. So I, I think if you don't know Christ as Savior, I think you need to listen this morning with the awareness that Jesus himself uh, is concerned for you, he's praying for you, he stands with open arms and says, let whosoever will come. Uh, we're going to kind of have a send-off verse this morning in, in Hebrews chapter 7, or a couple of verses there, uh, in Hebrews chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse uh, 23 down through verse uh, 25, and give us a context to Jesus uh, praying for us. Uh, This passage in Hebrews is referring to Jesus being our our high priest. So one of the priestly functions of a high priest was to pray uh, for the people of Israel. So Jesus is our high priest. One of his functions is to pray for us. And that's one of the things that that he does for us. Look look with me at those verses. The former priests, and that's talking about all those uh, Old Testament priests, all those high priests in in the past. The former priests were many in number. The reason they were many in number is because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So a high priest would live and he would die, and there'd have to be a new high priest. That's why they were many in number. But that's not true with Jesus, because keep reading. But he, referring to Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Now think about that. Did Jesus die? Yes, he died. He died on the cross for our sins. Was he buried? Yes, he was buried. But he took his life back up on the third day, he will never, ever die again. He continues forever in this permanent position of being our high priest. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost. Now guys, you ought to be clearly glad because I guarantee you some of us are in that category of the uttermost, amen? But that literally means this. Hey, from the moment, You trusted Christ as your Savior, you were saved. And and from then and throughout all eternity, you're saved. Amen. To the uttermost, he has saved you. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. That's the only access we have is to draw near to God through Jesus. Since he always lives, notice this, what does it say? There's that theological word, to make intercession for them. So that tells us that, that Jesus is alive and he's making intercession for us in heaven. That means the same Jesus that came into this world, the same Jesus that lived a sinless life, the same Jesus that went to the cross and actually shed his blood so you can have eternal life, the same Jesus that his life back up again, that same Jesus that did all those tremendous things, that same Jesus is praying for you. Isn't that good news? to know that he is praying for you. So today, let's consider some important truths about Jesus being our intercessor. The first one is this. Guys, you'll have to forgive me to go back and forth with water today. I've got a little bit of a tickle in my throat for some reason. That time of year, I think, uh, uh, where everything's starting to try and bloom out a little bit and allergies uh, catch up to me. The, the first important truth about Jesus being an intercessor is this. Jesus prays for his followers concerning the attack of Satan. Now, the reason I say that is because of this exchange that we're going to read about where Jesus is talking to Peter. And Jesus is letting Peter know that that, that Satan wanted to get him and kind of shake him, kind of of sift him. And here's what Jesus says to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Then notice this, and we'll talk about this in a a few minutes. And when you have turned again. (laughs) Jesus prayed that his faith wouldn't fail, but when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. In, In that statement there that Jesus made to Peter, there's about three main things I, I, I want you to grab hold of. The, the first one is this. Jesus prays for his followers with divine omniscience. Now, that's probably another word that you used yesterday, right? So, so omniscience basically means this. In layman's terms, it means Jesus knows everything. Amen? Because he's God. He's all-knowing. But it appears to me from what Jesus said here to Simon Peter that Jesus knew with all knowing power, Jesus knew because he himself is omniscient, Jesus knew with full awareness that Satan desired to attack Peter. He's saying that that Satan wants (coughs) wants to take you like wheat. And then when they would separate out the grain from the chaff, they'd pull a heavy sled across it and and use that pressure to separate it out. And then they would grind the the wheat, the grain part of it, uh, even down to powder to make flour and then sift it through. That's kind of an image, a destructive image, though, that that Jesus is using for what Satan wanted to do to Peter. He's saying that Satan wants to take you and put you under that kind of pressure and and break you down and and just completely uh, sift your life. That's what Satan is desiring to do with you. Satan demanded to have Peter, but Jesus knew that in advance. Jesus knew that he was demanded to have him. Jesus knew that, uh, that, that Satan wanted to take Peter and do that with him. Uh, maybe much the same way. Uh, it, it's like, it sounds like to me, it's like Satan's kind of having to ask permission. And if you are an old Testament picture of that remember Job, and remember Satan coming in and then there was God and, and uh, Satan comes in accusing Job of, of uh, uh, saying the only reason he loves God, the only reason he worships you and serves you is God because you just so good to him. And he had to get permission from God to be able to do all the things you see take place. Well, it sounded like to me the same scenario here except it's Peter. Uh, Satan was trying to seek permission to take Peter and actually treat him that way and, and, and assist him. But here's a quick application for us, guys, and really give this application. I think it's, man, I think it's comforting. Jesus knows everything you will ever go through in your life. Jesus with full omniscience, all-knowing Jesus knows every bump in the road you'll ever face in your life, everything that's around the bend in your life. He knows every affliction, and he knows every time Satan will attack you. And with that full awareness, Jesus is praying for you. Isn't that good news? That he already knows, and whatever it is you're going to have to deal with, Jesus is praying for you because he gives a picture here of him praying for Peter in that way. Jesus also prays for his followers to have strong faith, to have strong faith. He prayed that over Peter. He said, but I prayed for you that that your faith may not fail. Jesus is praying for Peter to have a strong, unfailing faith. Jesus desires, I think, the same for our lives, guys. Jesus isn't setting us up for failure. He doesn't set us up to fall. He wants us to have a strong faith. He wants us to hold to our faith. He wants us to be consistent. He he, he wants us to, to, to serve him. And he prayed that over Peter. And I believe he's praying that over us. In light of Jesus knowing everything, he can pray about everything with perfect awareness of what he needs to pray about over our lives, just like he did over Peter's life. Jesus knew the terrible test that was on the way for Peter's faith, and he prayed that Peter's faith would not failed and guys i just believe jesus prays the same type of prayers for us he's praying for you and i to have strong faith he's praying for you and i when we have faith challenges that are around the being in our lives he's praying for us to have strong faith jesus also prays for his followers with divine purpose with divine purpose <clears throat> because it goes on and says and when you have turned again strengthen your brothers Now, read between the lines there. He had prayed for Peter's faith to be strong, but what really happens? Prideful Peter had said, Jesus, I don't care what everybody else does. I don't care what the rest of these disciples do. I will never, ever deny you. I'll never run off. I will die with you. That's what Peter was saying. But in reality, what did Peter do? He ran and he hid. And he even cursed trying to, trying to convince people, hey, I don't even know who he is. Jesus had told him he would do that before that rooster would crow. And then when the rooster did crow that, that last time, Jesus turned and looked at him, the Bible tells us. So... Jesus knew, even though he was praying for Peter's faith to be strong, he knew that Peter's faith would stumble and that Peter would deny him. He knew that the rest of the disciples are going to take off. The only one seen at the cross is John standing there with his mother. He knew that in advance, and yet he's praying for him. Jesus knew on the other side of Peter having denied him how discouraged and defeated and despondent Peter would be because of his faith failure. Hey, you've been there before. There's been times in your life that you saying, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. I'm I'm not going to give in this temptation. I'm not going to do that. And then you fall and you fail. And when you do, what'd you feel like? You you felt like crap, didn't you? Can you say crap at church? (laughs) I just did online. I'm sorry. But that's, but that's the way, you, you, and, you, and you get despondent, and you get discouraged, and you're, and you're beaten up by, by what you've done. That's where Peter was. And, and Jesus knew that's the way Peter was going to feel. But Jesus also knew about a breakfast that's going to happen on the beach. Because in John 21... After Peter decided, I'm going to go back to my own life. I'm going to go back to living the way that I was before. I'm just going to go fishing. He's out there fishing, and Jesus comes on the seashore. And when he realizes it's Jesus, he hops out and he swims to him. Jesus is already cooking fish on the shore. Have you ever wondered where those fish come from? Remember who he is? Hey, jump out of the water. Come here. I'm going to fix you. Or just poof, you know, just... But during that conversation, after they had breakfast, Jesus restores fallen Peter. And where Peter denied him three times, Jesus gives him the opportunity to affirm three times that he loved him. And then Jesus, through all of that, says things like, hey, and this is really what he's saying, hey, I'm not done with you yet. I still have things for you to do. Go feed my sheep, feed my lambs, care for my lambs. So what I'm trying to tell you is this, guys. Jesus prays for his followers with a divine purpose because then he also looks at peter and he says after you've done that after you've returned after you've fallen away and you turn back i want you to do this i want you to strengthen your brothers that's divine purpose that he had for peter's life even though peter had fell even though peter had fallen and, and, and we need to think about that in our own lives. Because when we fall, when we make a mistake, and we get down and despondent and discouraged, Satan wants to come and whisper in our ears, you've blown it now, you might as well stay there. You've you messed up now, you might as well stay messed up. And don't listen to that whisper because the truth of the matter is this. Yes, we do mess up and yes, we do let him down sometimes. But just like he had a purpose for Peter's life, he's got a purpose for your life. And when we turn back from whatever it is, he wants us to be serving him in some way. Hey, if you think you don't have any purpose in your life, you can have at least the purpose that's here. He said go strengthen your own brothers. Guys, that's why we come to church. That's why we have small groups. That's why we need to get together. So we can strengthen each other. So we can encourage each other. And that's a purpose not just for me and not just for deacons and not just for leaders and not just for small group leaders. That's a purpose I think that Jesus has for every child of God, for every believer, for every follower. He wants to use us to strengthen each other. Oh, he wants to use us for more than that, to share our faith, to serve him in all kinds of ways, <clears throat> but I believe he wants to use us to strengthen each other. Just like he knew with Peter, Jesus knows in advance when you're going to fail when you're going to fall. He, he knows in advance when, when you're going to have those, those weak times in your life, but he also knows in advance how he wants to use our lives in spite Of our failures. So realize this today, guys. Realize that Jesus is praying with His divine purpose for our lives, and Jesus wants to use us to strengthen others. Let me give you a parallel passage that goes along with this, real quick. Look look at these verses in Matthew 26. And when they had sung a hymn, this is on the other side of the Lord's Supper. When they had sung a hymn, they went up to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, talking to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. And that's exactly what they did. I talked about that a moment ago. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But notice what Jesus says. Even though he's saying, you're going to run off. You're going to deny me. You're not going to be found anywhere at the cross. John will be there. But, but all of them ran off. John ran off to start with also that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he tells them, before they do it, they're going to do it. And then he says, but after I'm raised, notice what he says here. I will go before you to Galilee. You know what that tells me? That tells me that our faith falls may be great, but God's grace is greater. He's given the invitation to these very disciples that he knows are going to deny him. He's given the invitation to come and meet with him on the other side of the resurrection. He said, yes, you're going to do that. Yes, you're going to scatter. Yes, you're going to deny me. Yes, you're going to disappoint me and let me down. And I'm going ahead on the other side of the resurrection to Galilee, and I want you to come and meet with me. Think about that, guys. Jesus, with foreknowledge, knew exactly how they were going to let him down. But even though they did, his grace is greater than our that we have in our lives the grace of jesus is greater than the fall of the disciples and that's true in our lives too we may fall we may stumble satan wants to take us and have us and destroy us that's what his desire was for peter but guess what he can't have us you want to know why because we belong to jesus he bought us and paid for us with his blood we might stumble but we're still his we may let him down but his grace still gives us an invitation to meet with him And to serve him and to follow him. Second main thing about Jesus being an intercessor, I want you to see today is this. Jesus prays for his followers, even when we don't know how to pray. Now, before I read this passage of scripture, I fully recognize that the name of Jesus isn't mentioned here. It talks about the Holy Spirit praying for us. But let me ask you a question. How many gods do you have? you got one God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So says, there's one God, that means that it's the same thing that the Father's praying, when the Spirit's praying, Jesus is praying, there's one God. Look at what it says. <clears throat> Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now that blows me away, but let's unpack that just a little bit. Have you ever been in your life when you were so pressed into the corner by circumstances? When you have so much pressure upon your life that you wanted to pray and you wanted to ask God to help, but it's like you you didn't even know what to pray. And maybe all you could do is just moan in in your prayers. Max Lucado made this statement about the Holy Spirit. He said the, the Holy Spirit understands groanies. In other words, when all we can do is moan, all we can do is groan, he understands that and he can communicate it to the Father. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been with that much pressure in your life? Hey, have you ever been where you just really didn't know how to verbalize it and how to call out? You, you know you needed to pray, but somehow, because of all the emotional trauma you are going through, you, you just couldn't quite put it into words. You see, the wonderful thing from this is that you don't have to. God knew in eternity past you'd be there, and he even knows what you need to pray for, the Bible says. But this passage tells us the Holy Spirit of God is praying for us when we're in those circumstances. Hey, maybe you're even in a circumstance where... You just quite don't know what to pray. It might not be that you're under so much pressure in your life, but, but maybe you feel like you don't know a lot about prayer and you don't really know how to pray. Maybe that's where you are. That's okay too, because the, the Holy Spirit of God's praying for you. I'm not saying you don't need to learn how to pray. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying when, when, when you are or, or maybe have a question mark on what you need to be praying for in your life, you need to understand that the Holy Spirit's praying for you. Guys, one thing you can do is this when you're praying. If you don't know what to pray for and you running out of things on your prayer list, you can take the Bible and pray over the Bible. Pray verses from the Bible. Because that's the will of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. It says the one that's searching hearts, that's God the Father. God the Father clearly hears and understands what the Holy Spirit is praying for us because the Holy Spirit is praying perfectly the will of God for us. Hey, I, I can't do that a lot of times in my life. I may miss the will of God as I'm trying to pray. You may miss the will of God as you're trying to pray. That's why we need to know more what the will of God is so we can apply that to our prayer life. But even when you're in that circumstance and you don't really know what to pray for, rest in the fact the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Here's a side message for some of you that maybe get freaked out and and weirded out about prayer. I hope they don't call on me to pray at church in a small group, you know. You're just talking to your father. Some of you heard me tell this story before. In the first church that I pastored, there was a uh, a gentleman there. And uh, he he was kind of the mindset that any time we were taking up a special offering or whatever, he would... He, he would. he's willing to stand and say, well, I'll give so much for that, you know. So I thought, well, if he's willing to give so much for that, then, then he'd be willing to pray. So I called on him to pray one morning. And I, I was up in the pulpit, so I just bowed my head. and I was waiting for him to pray. And No one prayed. No one prayed. No one prayed. So I finally thought oh, I'd better look up and see what's going on. And I look up, and he's behind the guy in front of him, pushing on him, pushing on him, <laughs> pushing on him like that. Until the guy got up to pray for him. Don't be like that about praying. Hey, you're you're just talking to your Father. And if you don't exactly know the words, groan. (laughs) Groan and and, and call out to the Father because He's he's praying for you. The Holy Spirit is perfectly for the will of God. (laughs) We're going to finish up our time this morning going to the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. Because as we go to John 17, we're going to see in this high priestly prayer that Jesus prays for his followers in some very specific and some very wonderful ways. He prays for us in very specific and very wonderful ways. John 17, verse 9, down through 26. A lot of people think the Lord's Prayer, because we've called it that, that the Lord's Prayer is, uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's really the model prayer. That's Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray and kind of how to categorize your prayers and how to approach the Father. The the real Lord's prayer is John 17. Because in John 17, Jesus prays as our high priest and he prays for us in in some really great, specific, wonderful ways. Verse 9 and 10, just to give us a send-off, Jesus said, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, him saying I'm not praying for the world doesn't mean he doesn't pray for people to come to faith in him. He's talking about this particular instance now, the prayer he's getting ready to pray is to pray for his disciples. But for those you have given me, for they're yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Which begs me to ask a question, is Jesus glorified in our lives? Is he being glorified in your life? And understand that as Jesus prays that, he's literally praying for those disciples who are right there with him in that moment. But he goes beyond that because down in verse 20, Jesus is also praying for all who would believe in him. Guys, and that includes us. Verse 20 says this, I do not ask for these only, not just for these disciples that were there with him in that moment, but, but, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So what Jesus prays in this prayer is for all of us. It's not just for those disciples that were with him then. What he prays for us is, is for all of us, everyone who's a believer. If you know Christ as your Savior, the stuff we're getting ready to talk about, Jesus prayed over you. In particular, he prayed it where those disciples could hear it. Man, put yourself in those shoes for a minute. Think about as we walk through this what Jesus prayed. Can you imagine you being there and hearing him pray that for you over your life? Jesus prays for his followers, first of all, to be kept in the name of the Father. First part of verse number 11. He said, I'm no longer... In the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. And then he says, Keep them in your name which you have given me. He's saying, Those you've given me, Father, keep them in your name. Hey, he said, I'm getting ready to leave them, but but Father, I want you to keep them in your name. Now now you need to understand what Jesus meant by that. Jesus isn't given some type of formula that people think of when they think about praying in Jesus' name or anything else. He's not He's not just saying, Well, Father, just just keep them in your name as though that's some type of magical formula. From a biblical line of thought, from a Jewish line of thought, in order to really know who the person was and to know all about them, you had to know their name. So when Jesus says, keep them in your name, in the Father's name, what he's really saying is this, Father, keep them in all that you are. Man, isn't that a great prayer? Hey, everything that God is, God's character, God's will, all that God is, Jesus is praying that the Father would keep us under the authority and the power of all that God is, and Jesus prays that. For us, Jesus also prays for our unity. <clears throat> Second part of verse number 11, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus prays for the unity among believers to be the same unity that exists between him and the Father. And in fact, according to Scripture's, all of us are one. There's only one body. The Bible tells us that there's only one body made up of many parts. You're a part of the one body. We are one. Jesus is the head. I'm not talking just about this church. I'm talking about all believers. There's, there's one body, and Jesus is the head. So, so we are one, and we ought to act like we're one. We have various roles to, to serve in, but but we need to serve him. To get a little bit fuller explanation of that, John 17 verse 13. Well, really, I should say verse 20 through 26. I'm going to read what I did a moment ago again. So don't ask this for these only, but also for all those who believe in their name through their word, that they may be one. He wasn't just praying for those disciples with him to be one. He's praying that we would be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I and you. Now stop and think about that. Bake that around your mind a little bit. With the same degree of unity that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have, he's praying for us as believers to have that same degree of unity among ourselves. And he's praying, he says, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So think about that. Jesus is praying not just for those believers, he's praying for us. He's praying for, for believers of, of this day and all days. And he prays for us to have that degree of unity among ourselves. We're to view ourselves, guys, as being in Christ and in the Father. So if we're in Christ and in the Father, all of us together, we are unified in him. We're unified in Christ. We're unified together in the Father. And notice one of the vitally important reasons for unity. Jesus said, so that the world may believe you have sent me one convincing evidence for the world that jesus is who he says he is and that jesus came into this world and was sent here for the purpose of the father one convincing reason behind that is that we the church has unity now i'm gonna meddle a little bit (laughs) we wonder sometimes why we can't get people in churches We wonder sometimes why it's hard to win lost people. And we need to factor in, maybe they're not convinced because we're not as unified as we ought to be. You you let the Southern Baptist Convention get together meeting, and if they have some controversy, the news media loves to put that on the news for everybody to hear. People hear that or people hear about the the, the failures of maybe TV evangelists and different things like that. And and guys, they, they group us all together. And it's not just in that big spectrum. They hear about individual congregations fighting among themselves and gossiping about each other. And when that gets out in the community, and then we wonder why we can't get them to Jesus and we can't get them to church, maybe it's we've not given them enough evidence that Jesus is real and that Jesus is who he said he is and that Jesus is sent by the Father because we've not showed them the unity that Jesus said we need to have. Have you ever thought about that? Well, but I want to to communicate my will and my thought, and I don't care what anybody else thinks about it at, at church. Jesus cares. And he cares about the attitude and the way we convey things like that. Because if we show the world and non-believers that we have disunity and we fail to show them the unity that Jesus prays for us to have here, we've given ammunition to a lost world to say, well, see there, you're like everybody else. I don't really know that this is true. That God sent Jesus into this world because of, of the disunity that, that I see in the church and the disunity I see uh, among believers. Jesus prayed for us to have that degree of unity. He even prays that that and says, "Father, I've given them the glory that that, that you gave me." And, and I think, guys, maybe part of the glory of God is exhibited in unity. When you look at all this in context together, just maybe as we are unified, we're displaying the glory of God through unity also. Now, guys, understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about unity at the expense of everything. I'm not talking about unity at the expense of doctrine and and, and the truth of the the word and the the gospel and things. I'm not talking about that. But I will ask you a question. When's the last time you really heard of a congregation of believers being disunified and, and split and splintered because of doctrine? Was the last time you heard of believers or a church arguing because of what color to paint a Sunday school class, or what color carpet to buy, or what kind of roof to put on, or, you know, whatever it might be. See, it's rarely about something that's strategic and important, that we need to maintain unity so we can be convincing He prays that we'd be perfectly one so that the world may know that he was sent. And and, and he wants us also to be proven this. Jesus is saying that, that he loves us even as the Father loved him. Think about that. That's the degree that Jesus loves us with. And he desires with that kind of love for us to display unity. Jesus also prayed this. Jesus prays for his joy to be fulfilled in us. Look at verse 13 and 14. But now I'm going to the but now I'm coming to you, so I'm going to the Father. And these things I speak in the world, in other words, so the disciples could hear it, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, now, before I kind of unpack it a little bit more, I, I want you to understand something. There's a huge difference between worldly happiness and Christian joy. You understand that? You might be going through a ton of negative stuff in your life as a believer and, and not be happy about it. Hey, who would be? But you can go through that and not be happy, but still have joy in your life. Now, the reason I say that is this. Jesus is talking about his joy being fulfilled in them. And then Jesus alluded to the fact that they hated him, so they're going to hate his disciples, which in the broader context includes us. Jesus talked about fulfilling joy, and then he talked about being hated by the world. How does those two concepts intersect? How can I have joy? How can you have joy fulfilling my heart when I'm being hated by the world? I think here's how. Since they hated Jesus, the world hated Jesus. When the world hates us, that gives us all the more evidence that we really belong to Jesus. And guys, we ought to have joy in our heart because of that. Amen? No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, we ought to have joy in our heart, in that true joy. Guys, I'm going to give you a newsflash. That true joy as a Christian is not found in this world. Look at our culture. People are chasing everything under the sun trying to find true joy. And I'll tell you up front, whether you want to accept it or not, you may be someone out there chasing everything, trying to find fulfillment and true joy in the world. I'm going to tell you up front, it won't work. And I'm going to tell you up front, the only place you'll find true joy is in Jesus. The only way you'll find true joy is in him. Jesus also prayed this. He prayed for our protection from the evil one. Look at verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. See, the evil one's real. We don't like in our culture to talk about Satan and hell and things like that. Matter of fact, we live in a world today, if you start talking about things like that, people will... will, um, Make fun of you and sport of you and act like you're ignorant. Guys, if heaven is real, I think hell is real. The Bible talks about both. If Jesus is real, Satan is real. If Christ is real, there's an antichrist. Satan has his plan and his desire to have a counterfeit for everything that God has for us that's true and right. And he's got in his desire for have a, uh, an anti-whatever it is on his side of the ball. Jesus prays it would be kept from the evil one. First Peter chapter five, verse eight tells us this. The Satan's walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to eat you down. And the Bible literally tells us that. But but Jesus here prays it will be kept away from the evil one. Now understand what he's praying. He's not praying isolation over our lives. That's the approach some believers take. Well, we'll go off over here and we'll form a little Christian community off somewhere and we'll be off to ourselves. And guys, that's one of the things that was wrong with the PTL club back when they, before they ever have any failures, the thought was this. Well, come by your timeshare down here. Come by your apartment down here. We'll all live behind these walls, and we'll all have this wonderful community together. And, and, guys, that's not what God's called us to. He's not called us to be isolated from the world. He's called us to be in the world, to change the world, to impact the world, to influence the world, to share the gospel. He doesn't pray for us to be isolated. He prays for us to be insulated by his power. That's what he's praying for his believers here. Don't take them out of the world. He, he's saying, don't take them out of the world, but, but Father, just protect them as they serve me, as they follow me, as they're in the world. Father, just protect them. And he prayed that over our lives. Remember Daniel on the lion's den? The same God that shut the lion's mouth for Daniel can shut Satan's mouth for you. Jesus also prayed this. He prays that we'll be sanctified slash set apart in truth. Talking about his believers, they're not of the world. His followers, his disciples, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So some important things we need to settle there. He said they're not of the world. What Jesus is meaning is this. He's not saying they're not in the world. He's saying they're not part of the world system. We're in the world ourselves, guys. We're living in the world, but we're not to be part of the world system. And he's praying that over them. He said they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. But then he says this, "Sanctify sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Now, if you want to argue about whether the Bible is true or not, You're arguing with the deity of Jesus because Jesus himself just said God's word is true. A lot of people think, well, they can attack the Bible. They can strip the Bible of different parts of it and everything and and, and act like they're, they're still cool with Jesus and they won't love Jesus. The same Jesus that you're talking about is the same Jesus that says the Bible is true and that God's word is true. And he says To the Father, sanctify them, which means this. That's another one of those churchy words, sanctify, sanctification. It literally just means this. He's saying, Father, set them apart by your word. Set them apart by your truth. And that's what the word of God ought to do for us. It ought to help us be set apart from the rest of the world. We ought to be different than the rest of the world. And that's what Jesus prays over us, to be set apart by the truth of God's word. You may not like the next one, but Jesus said it anyway. Jesus prays for us because he has sent us. Because he has sent us. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified or set apart in truth. See, here enters purpose in the prayer of Jesus. All the things that we think, man, that's really good. Jesus is praying for us about this and that, and and all that's really neat. Jesus also prays with a purpose, and he's sending you. Oh, he's just talking about those original disciples. No, remember he said he's praying for all of us. The the Great Commission tells us to, what's the word? Go. And we'll come up with a defense mechanism and say, but I'm so busy, I just don't have time to go. Well, let me tell you what the Great Commission really fully says it says in the tense, when it says to go, it's really saying as you are going. And all of us can fall into that realm of as you are going, as you go to work, as you go to the marketplace, as you live your life, you all have opportunities to serve Jesus and impact the lives of others. He, He tells us, To go, we have been sent. He wants us to change our culture. He gives us a purpose here. He's sending us. Notice how he put it: Jesus is sending us, just as the Father sent Him, in the same fashion, in the same way, with the same purposes. Jesus sends us into the world, exactly in the fashion and the way that the Father sent Him into the world. Guys, He has a purpose for our lives to make a difference in this world. And that ought to be a trumpet call in our lives. If you wake up groggy every morning and you're dreading what you're going to have to do in the day and dreading having to go to work, maybe you start reminding yourself every morning when you wake up if you're a Christian. Hey, I hear a trumpet call in my mind right now and in my ear. God has a purpose for my life. He has something for me to do today. And instead of going out with such negative feelings about approaching your day that day, go out with harvest eyes. Looking differently, understanding that Jesus has sent you, even as the Father sent Him, and that will change the way you start your mornings, and that will change the way you look at your world, and that will change the way you live your life. If you'll see that Jesus has sent you, just as the Father sent Him, and by the way, He prayed that for you. He prayed for you to go. Remind yourself of that. He prayed. For you to go and to be consecrated by his truth guys he's called every one of us to go and make disciples he's called every one of us to be servants you've not heard much about it yet because uh my, myself and the staff and some of our lay leaders have been going through a book that john came across several uh years ago i think and called empowering leadership and uh, It's going to be a culture shift for us. So we've not started unpacking it yet. We'll have to unpack it slowly. Uh, John keeps reminding us it's going to be hard work, and it will be hard work for us to do this. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, we need to kill ever, ever, ever using the word volunteer again at Day 3 Church. We're not supposed to be building volunteers. We're supposed to be building leaders and, and, and building people to serve Christ. So we don't know everything it's going to look like yet, but I'm just telling you, uh, you know, and I've got the habit of it and probably Daryl does and, and and all of you do We'll talk about volunteers The next time you hear one of us say volunteer tells you're not supposed to say that. that's a bad word Because we're, we're supposed to be leaders. He sent us to serve him Jesus also prays this now guys, you might not like the sent part. I hope you did I hope you realize you're supposed to do it. But look what jesus also prays for us He prays for us to be where he is to be with him. Is that pretty good? Amen. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. He wants us to literally be with him. And guys, if you know him, you will be. And he wants us to be where he is. In order that we might see his glory, to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Think about that. Jesus is praying for you and I to be in his presence, for you and I to be with him. But he's praying it for this reason also, that when we're in his presence, we will get to see firsthand the Father's love for the Son and how he loved him from the foundation of the world. And for us to experience that same love firsthand as we're there with Jesus and the Father. Isn't that a great prayer? That's what he prayed over us he wants us to see him in his real home in his real environment there with him for all eternity that's why he said i've gone to prepare a place for you in john 14 why is he preparing a place because he wants you there if you know christ as your savior he's got a place for you if you don't know christ as your savior he'll fix a place for you you need to trust christ as your savior By the way, Jesus knows on the front end, so he can go ahead and build it for you. You may not know it yet, but he knows if you'll come to Christ because he's an all-knowing God. Remember that? One last thing. Jesus prays for our continued spiritual growth. He prays for our continued spiritual growth. O righteous Father, verse 25, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you've sent me. I have made known to them your name. Now, that's past tense. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue, future tense, to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. See, thank God one day we'll be with Jesus and the Father forever. Thank God one day we'll see him in all of his glory and we'll experience that love forever. But don't be so heavenly minded in thinking about thank God for that day that you're no good in this day. Because he prays here that we will continue to grow. He said, I've made your name known to them, and I'm going to continue making your name known to them. He's wanted to make known to us fully the Father's will, the Father's character, the Father's purpose, everything that the Father is, so that we may grow in the Father's love, so we may grow to be more in Christ, because he's in us, and we're in him. In other words, we, we need to have spiritual growth and take place in our lives still yet today. He prays that for us. I believe Jesus isn't happy with where you are. I think Jesus is praying for all of us to be further down the road and to know more and experience more about the Father's fullness and know more about the Father. He said, I've taught them their name, uh, your name, and I'm going to continue to do that. Apply that to us today. When you came to know Christ as your Savior, that's more or less when you learned about the father fully and you you trusted the gospel. That doesn't mean that's where you stay and that's where you stop. If you're someone of the mindset that you've been a Christian for a long, long time and you've already arrived and and you don't really need to read your Bible anymore or read any devotional books anymore. If you think you've kind of already arrived, I've got news for you. No one has already arrived. I've been a pastor this year for 35 years, and you know what? I've not arrived yet, and I won't arrive yet fully until I see Jesus face to face. If you had asked Billy Graham before he died, hey, have you arrived yet? Billy Graham would have told you, no, I'm not fully arrived yet. Don't you dare think you've done all the growing you need to do. Jesus has revealed the Father's name to you, but he wants to continue revealing the Father to you, and you need to learn more and grow more to be more like Jesus and carry that love into the world. Jesus is our intercessor. Jesus is praying for you. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, I think he's praying for you right now. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I think Jesus right now is praying that you will. As I said earlier, he prayed for all those from the cross that has so beaten him and abused him and nailed him on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. If he'll do that for those people, he'll do it for you. And I think he's praying for you and he has open arms wanting you to come to him. If you have already trusted your cross as your Savior, he's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying all these wonderful things that we saw in this high priestly prayer. Jesus is, it is praying for us. I know he's praying for you if you're a believer. He's praying God's best for your life. Remember what we talked about this morning? Jesus already knows. He already knows everything you'll ever go through in your life. And with his all-knowing ability, he's praying for you. Nothing's going to catch him by surprise. There's not anything hidden up around the bend in your life that he doesn't know about. And he's praying for you. There's not any temptation that Satan will throw your way or any destruction that Satan wants to bring your life or attack from Satan that he doesn't know about. He is praying for you. Rest and walk and live your lives in that awareness that he's praying for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you even when you don't know what to pray for. And he's praying perfectly for you. And Jesus is our eternal high priest, as our perfect high priest. He's praying For his followers, he's praying for you. Now, before we have this invitation decision time, I can almost hear thoughts bouncing off the walls, maybe from some of you. First service, I could hear it big time because someone there I knew had been through a lot lately for the last year or so. You might be thinking to yourself, "Well, if Jesus is praying for me, when's it going to make a difference in my life? If Jesus is praying for me, when are things going to get better?" Can I read you a story real quick before we close? Kind of walk you through the story. Jesus put the disciples on a boat and he sent them away. The Bible says, "After he taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. He's up there praying, and he and he can see him from where he's at. Now, guys, I don't know if he can see him physically, but I, he can see him no matter what. Amen? Amen. And he saw they were making headway painfully. Some translations say they were." you know, struggling and rowing. The same word translated painfully there, sometimes translated torment or torture. For the wind was against them. In the fourth watch of the night, anybody know when the fourth watch of the night is? He sent them out there about evening time, about the time it got dark. Fourth watch of the night is from three to six o'clock in the morning. They've been out there fighting the winds, trying to row, struggling, painfully rowing all night long. And he came to them about the fourth watch of the night, walking on the sea. I can't explain this to you. We'll have to ask Jesus one day. And he meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. Can I suggest to you what you need to do is cry out? They were terrified. He spoke to them, "Take heart, as I do not be afraid." And he got into the boat with them. The wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. But they did not, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. <laughs> In other words, hey, you guys have already seen some stuff. Here's simply the thing I want you to see. If you're asking yourself, why is it so hard? Why can't I make progress? Why does the wind seem like it's against me in this world? Why am I having so much difficulty? Why is it so painful right now in my life? Can I suggest that you do what the disciples do here? Keep rolling. Just keep rolling. almost called in Crump and said, bring me a kayak. <laughs> and put it on stage. It'll make you wonder about it all through the message, trying to figure out how it's going to fit until now. And me get in and beat the carpet and show you I couldn't go anywhere. That might be the way you feel in your life. You're, you're trying and you're trying, and, but, but, but there's not any progress. Hey, keep rolling with the awareness. That Jesus is praying. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep rolling. With the awareness that Jesus is praying. Romans 8. Then we'll pray and have the invitation. He shall bring anything to the charge of God's elect. It's God that justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Notice this who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is doing what? He's praying for us. Father, forgive us when we get weary and frustrated while we're rowing, while we're facing winds contrary in this world. Forgive us when we want to lose hope and we want to give up father give us the the spiritual fortitude and and commitment to trust in you if you put us in a boat you put us in that boat for a reason father help us just to keep rolling and keep rolling with the awareness that you're praying for us father help us not just know some doctrinal truth that you're praying for us Father, help us begin to live our lives, to make our decisions, to to, to walk every day under the awareness that, that, that Jesus is praying for us, that he knows in advance everything we'll face and that he's praying for us. Father, remind us that when we don't know what to pray for, you do, and your spirit prays for us perfectly. Father, help us to, to rest in these wonderful truths, these specific things that Jesus prayed for us. But don't let us just rest in those things without any activity because you told us that you want to send us into this world. Lord, is there's anyone this morning that's never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray right now you would tune their ears in where they can hear Jesus praying for them in heaven. The Jesus that died on the cross and suffered on the cross for their salvation. I pray right now by faith they can hear the prayers of Jesus for them. Their name, their life, their eternity. And give them the faith they need to say yes to Jesus. Father, I pray for believers that may be wrestling with things I know nothing about. I pray you encourage them and you help them to bring things to you in prayer right now with the awareness that you're already praying for whatever it is over them. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.